I feel so quiet tonight after after the practice. I, that line that often goes through my mind at times like this. Many of you have heard this before, but it's the line goes. Uh, before you speak, continue to consider whether your words will be an improvement on the silence. <laughs> so it often stops my conversation <laughs> pretty quickly. But I was struck this evening by the felt experience with, uh, with my eyes closed. Is that with my eyes closed, uh, in any moment that I was simply present, and probably the same is true for you, in the moments of simply being present here, it's too bad they're so rare in our lives of being of clearly comprehending a sense of presence. But in those moments, I had no idea if I, because I was free of memory and I was free of hope and expectation, I had no idea that I was a man, a teacher, a human. I, all my Roles were, I was experiencing life in that direct way where we move beyond our roles, uh, beyond concepts. We, I was just quiet. If I was going to say anything about it. And that really is the, the potential of our practice to come out of the tangle of our conceptual world, not to abandon our concepts, but to be, appreciate them a lot and appreciate the, the usefulness of the different designations of our uh, gender, our roles, our, our boundaries. All of that's very useful in terms of our conventional understanding of ourselves. And that, that, dis, that distinction between self and other uh, is very useful to establish our autonomy, our individuality, to be able to live our life and express life in that unique way that each of us does. That, that's a, that the world of concepts is absolutely important. And then the language that's very dualistic, very much is, sets up the, the whole world of of duality, of dichotomies, of self and other, and inside and outside. But all of that, all of that, in a, in a split second, can drop away and allow us to touch a reality of, that some would call a substratum of silence, of connection, of what the Zen tradition calls suchness. A sense of wholeness, fullness, enoughness that sometimes has the fragrance of contentment, has the fragrance of peace, of, um, of a sense of home. And yet, in a fundamental way, nothing happened. Nothing, absolutely nothing happened except a momentary suspension of my cherished uh, views and identities, my views and opinions about things, 
my, like I said before, my role, my gen, all that. And so in the midst of our lives, no matter how complicated it seems, and if I think about this world, especially in this last week with these, with the, this complete and utter lunatic who mowed down the people in the children, etc., in Norway. I, I, don't, I hope this is not news to some of you. But the political discourse and the, the holding of our, our culture, our country hostage over political, uh, for the purpose of political gain. So all of this stuff marked by such intense identification with views, opinions, party, uh, power, uh, money, that it seems when I think about these things, I can see that the world is absolutely nuts. We are absolutely crazy. Yet, as complicated as it seems, for any one of us, it does not matter your circumstances. Peace is a split second, a half breath away. Freedom, connection, love, a split second, a half breath away. And it very much depends on and is helped by uh, having our mind, our attention that's often very scattered, very dispersed, very much dependent on external circumstances, even dependent on internal circumstances. But it requires and is helped by having our mind in the same location as our body, right here. This why I said holy body, and I'll, I'll read the poem that I often read about the holy body later. But it turns out that this, this what the Buddha called this fathom-long body is, he said in a passage that I think I've been riffing on over the last four or five months and really having fun with it, he said, in this fathom-long body, with its inner sense, its perceptions and inner sense lies the world, lies the cause of the world, lies the end of the world, lies the path leading to the end of the world. So clearly, if not for this body, if not for this organism, this sensitive organism with its perceptions and inner sense, we would not have any sense of the world. We would not have any sense of what causes the world, what, what generates, keeps generating the world. Not the world um, in the sense of the cause of the world. I think the Buddha was talking about the way that we keep making the world in our minds. In this fathom-long body lies the world. We find that, it, that the only way that we know the world directly is through our senses. We have no, if it, if it wasn't for these sense doors and this body, this sense of here-ness and now-ness, we would not know about a world. We wouldn't even be able to think in that very advanced way about and project and 
be able to retain information, have memory about what's happening in other parts of the world or what we want to do tomorrow or yesterday. We could not do that without this fathom-long body. So this is these, our sense experiences, our immediate felt experience here. The absolute simplicity is the world. The idea of the world, as I often think to myself, the idea of the world is not the world, just like a thought of your mother is not your mother. It's an idea. But there is no doubt when we, when we land here in that simple way, no matter how complicated our mind is and how complicated we project the world, how reactive we are to what's happening in our, uh, to the things that enter our different senses, what we hear on television or the radio, what we see every day on the streets and with our co-workers, whatever. The whole world depends on that, um, on these simple senses. And if we as one of my teachers said, guard our senses, which means, in a very simple way, just staying here. Stay here. I always, whenever I hear myself say the word, stay here, I think of my teacher Punjaji, Harilal Punja, teacher I used to hang out with in India, and he he would... uh, he would laugh and cry and talk and all day long. And one of my friends went to see him with a video camera and had a, had a ball taking videos of him. And finally, after, I think, two, three weeks of taking video every day of him go, going from laughter to crying, being a lion to this tender, tender um, field of compassion, my friend said to him... Uh, would you please say something to all those people back in America or the West who would love to hear uh, something directly directed toward them? And he looked into the camera very intently, and then he got this gigantic grin on his face, and he said, stay where you are. And this was actually, you know, it has, as you can imagine, it has many levels of meaning. You know, this was at a time where there were maybe 10 people, 20 people sitting with this teacher. And literally 12 months later, there were 350 people sitting every day with him. And he was basically taken over by people's uh, fascination. But, but that, so he re- literally didn't want people to come, but he was obviously pointing... <laughs> He was pointing to the, the secret teaching, the open secret, that you are in your simple and immediate experience. The experience that is so easily overlooked, you are what you're looking for. That no greater freedom, no greater peace, no greater happiness, no greater place can be found uh, than the simplicity of being awake in touch with the truth of how things are and especially if you're in the company of others that are doing that there's there's no higher mountain to climb than a simple moment of mindful attention that is 
both only found and aided by having your mind in the same location as your body. And not only that, you begin to, if you put your mind in the same location in the body, we start, this is where it gets into a little bit more subtle dharma, but we start with the sense of, here's, this is my body. And it clearly in that, on that conventional level, all of us sitting here have a body, we have a history, we have a name, we have a we have, an, we have various identities, various views, various situations. And that's what we find ourselves in, that general, conventional situation. But then we start to sit. And the way the Buddha talked about it is, if you sit and you drop the... It's important to see the difference between the concept of body... I have to admit it, today I had my hair cut. And so the idea, I, I looked in the mirror after I got my hair cut, and, and, and that, what I saw in the mirror was a picture. I didn't see, I didn't, that wasn't the direct experience of the body, that was a picture of shorter hair, and to the degree that I have a certain identity with the way the hair looks, I felt very unsettled. <laughs> Especially because it didn't match whatever image that I thought I'd like it to look like. But as soon as I shifted from the idea of the body and that picture in the mirror to that internal sense that can only be felt as a field of sensations. So stop, stop feeling your body right now and just feel sensations. So you see that the body is just an idea. The sensations are they're pleasant or unpleasant, but they're just sensations. And it step it for in a second. You step out of me and mine and I and how's it look and and whether it's getting old, whether it's gonna, whether it's good, looks good enough or you know all that vanity just drops away. And we we stop fighting. <laughs> stop, stop fighting with reality. We cure our fatigue and our strain to, to you know, if, it, if I look in the mirror and it doesn't, it, I, I, I have to admit that I, I don't have the same level of vanity I had when I was younger. But whenever I'd get my hair cut too short, I would literally have my sense of well-being suspended until my hair grew out a little bit. I don't wait anymore. To feel well. I don't wait until the weekend. I don't wait until the hair grows out. I don't wait until the vacation. That's something you learn when you realize that you are as you are, what you're looking for. So the Buddhists said, stop, pause, feel what we call the body, but feel it as a world of sensation. Peel your own, as, as Derek Walcott says, peel your own image from the mirror. Feast on your life. He says, take down the, the, the love letters, the angry notes, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. So, he, so basically the Buddha is saying, feel. 
with mindful attention this what we call the body but when you're feeling you don't say body I'm feeling body you can say that but what you're really wanting to attune to is this field of sensations and he challenged us to see that when we do that there's no person there in fact said there's basically five things five things there is form and that's that that felt experience there's there's form so that's the physical elements there's feeling it's a felt experience and he usually feeling is referred to as pleasant unpleasant or neutral not emotion in this case there's form there's feeling there's perception there's perception is based on memory that you know you're experiencing something and you know what it is that you're experiencing in this case uh, it's sensation or whatever but there's form feeling perception then mental formation and that's mental formation is what factors are present either there's greed in the mind hatred in the mind ignorance in the mind there's mindfulness or there's um, or there's thinking about there's any number of things and then there's consciousness and that those five things are flashing on and off every billions of times every second and nowhere in those five things that make up what we call a person nowhere is there can you find something that's solid you can't find a person there really you can only find this these these fleeting these fleeting what are called the five skandhas the skanda is a heap it's a heap of these five little things flickering on and off now this is not to say of course that you're not here you're here you like i said before you are that unique individual expressing life in the only not like anybody else with your history your situation everything your karma your mind stream but if you look to the heart of that of what you call yourself you won't find anything in what you call yourself that exists completely 100% independently apart from everything else Now why would we want to see through why would we want to see our lives that way as as not really existing in the way that we normally do why would we do that anybody want to say why would we want to see below the world of concepts below the world of of individuality why mark it's liberating and what does it liberate us from <laughs> he says all that crap it liberates us from the illusion of separateness of being apart from the flow of life cut off alone it liberates us from the sense that our nature is limited to the space between our ears that we are not just this little vortex of the 65,000 thoughts that we have every day 90% being repeats from the day before that we ultimately do not exist 
independently apart from each other. We are both being, we are both influencing each other and we are being influenced by each other. There is not one shred of us that exists completely independently. That we are a sea, part of a sea of contingencies. This, we depend on each other. And to miss this more fundamental truth uh, is to live in a state of isolation, in a state of tension, in a state of feeling as though you really are just this body that exists in this world as though the world is apart from you. And as long as we live in that, just exclusively in that duality, we are forever feeling like that one wave, like a wave on the ocean, that a wave that has arisen but somehow feels that uh, she has, been, uh, has gotten separated from the ocean. But we know, we know the, the, the wave is inherently part of the ocean, just as you are completely a part of everything and touching everything and being touched by everything. And so, ultimately, it reminds us to relax. To stop, as one teacher said, flapping our arms so much. To settle back. To pause. To to feel for a moment, through this field of sensations, to feel that home in this world is just a split second, a half breath away. It's not so far away. And why do we want to make sure that we feel home? Not just because we don't want to feel separate. Because we so easily, so quickly, so easily and so quickly become disconnected, disembodied, disenchanted, disassociated, anxious, uh, worried, um, dependent on things and people and situations near and afar we continually disconnect from ourselves. Just say in your mind the word Rush Limbaugh. Or say, if you're on the other side, say the word liberal. Say the word conservative. Say the word Republican. Say the word, well, I, you know, I don't want to get into a political thing here. But clearly, there are there, there are so many situations and issues and that trigger in us a feeling of reaction. Any of you ever have any reactions to the political scene? No. Okay. Maybe I'm just. Maybe it's just me. Now, any of you ever get angry about the about say the word greed? So when we get angry, do we stay connected to ourselves? Do we stay home in balance and equanimity with full understanding that beings, people, are just the way they are, that they, arise, that they act according to greed, hatred, or ignorance, arising out of conditions, the only way that they can act? Or do we just rail at them? Do we then completely lose our balance and think that our well-being depends on them being different than the way they are? 
Any of you ever have that one? And we get really angry. Why did we get angry? We don't get angry because they're the way they are. We get angry because we can't keep our cool. We can't stay connected to ourselves. We, we don't like it when we get thrown out of our bodies, out of this holy body. We get angry when we feel disconnected and are at the effect of someone else's actions, thoughts, words, deeds. And to the degree that we are, um, that we can't keep our center, we need to somehow, um, the work is not so much, it's not only, it, it, part of it is to change the world and do everything we can to, to make sure that everyone is fed and cared for and, and that has opportunities, etc. But at least half the work is, um, is, is taking care of our own business, is coming back into our own bodies, our own holy bodies, so that we don't, because of our disconnectedness, become part of the problem of, of blaming everyone for our, um, for our disconnection. Because that's how the world gets the way it is, because people are the way they are. As Nisargadatta says, if we want a peaceful world, a fair world, he didn't say fair, I'll just, you know, you can fill in the blank. But he said, if you want a peaceful world, there has to be peaceful people. And it's not something you can impose on the world. It's something that starts within each of our hearts and minds. So that's another reason to come to the, to the center of it all, to rely on that friend within us, which is awareness, attention, and to, to bring that light and love back to ourselves, as that Derek Walcott poem, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart, that sense of mindful presence. And he goes on to say, take all these ideas, these love letters, these desperate notes, your images, and come home, feast on your life. Because otherwise we're making everyone wrong for our discomfort. And then we become just like everyone else, making everyone wrong. So as Dharma students, at least meditators, we, we, we begin the process of completely taking responsibility for our own upset. Doesn't mean that we don't try to, we don't go out and join a movement. But we don't do it with anger. We don't do it dis, in a disconnected way, in a, in a blaming and demanding way. We do it in a way that brings, that models uh, centeredness, peace, equanimity, compassion. Now it's easy to talk about this, it's another to do it, but that's why we practice. So I think I'd love to hear a little bit from you, any comments, but I, I'll finish my comments with, with the poem that, my favorite poem of this year, which I probably, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if I read it last week, but here it is. It's from Hafiz called Cast All Your Votes for Dancing. I know the voice of depression still calls to you. 
I know those habits that can ruin your life still send their invitations. But you are with the friend now. And you look so much stronger. You can stay that way and even bloom. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers and work and music and from your companion's beautiful laughter. Keep squeezing drops of the sun from the, from the sacred hands and glance of your beloved. And my dear, from the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may buy you just a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken man behind a farting camel. You are with the friend now. Learn what actions of yours delight her. What actions of yours bring freedom and love. Whenever you speak of the divine, dear pilgrim, my ears wish my head was missing so they could finally kiss each other and applaud all your nourishing wisdom. Oh, keep squeezing drops of the sun from your prayers and work and music and from your companion's beautiful laughter and from the most insignificant movements of your own holy body. Now, sweet one, be wise. Cast all your votes for dancing. So, you are with the friend now. A friend is your, your own holy body and your own kind attention. So, stay where you are. Be wise. Any comments or questions before we have a few minutes? Otherwise, I can, we can wind down and we can share the blessings of our time together with all the beings that we share this world with. Uh, we can do that. Okay. Great. So as usual, as we do each week, we consider, we remember that we don't exist apart from each other. We try to remember that all the time. But we don't just try to remember, we try to realize it directly. We try to you know, just sit in the midst of all where we're touching and being touched. But we consider that world that we touch and are being touched by and all the beings in it, all the beings who are being born into it, all those who are dying, all those who are in unhappy circumstances, those who are in happy circumstances, those who are, who are victims in this world, and even those who are perpetrators in this world. We try to let the blessings and the goodness and the merit and the benefits of our time and our practice together, we, we generate a wish that all beings can be touched by this and that ultimately all beings can have happiness and peace in their lives. And the causes of happiness and peace increasing through their care and attention, love. And a deep wish that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering decreasing every day. 
and a deep wish that all beings can recognize this sacred happiness that is without sorrow, that can be touched in any moment, right in the midst of it all. Open secret. And a deep wish that all beings can learn the, the joy of equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less grasping and less aversion. And a deep wish that from this moment forward that our life, our work, our practice uh, is dedicated to the welfare and, and benefit of all. That every action of our body, speech, and mind plants a seed of either goodwill or delusion. So a deep wish that all beings can live with ease, be liberated from confusion and suffering. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate being able to remind myself to stay in my body, especially with all the things that I can become reactive about, and including my haircut. <laughs> anyway, I have a couple announcements to make. Next, for the next two weeks, the next two weeks, you have the great good fortune, and I beg you to come and take advantage of it the great good fortune of being with one of my favorite young, younger Dharma teachers, uh, someone who has just finished or is finishing teacher training with Jack Cornfield, who I would consider uh, the most of all the Dharma teachers I know, uh, my most kindred spirit in terms of Dharma and where he lives and where he teaches and practices from, and that is uh, Will Kabat-Zinn will be with you, who's, um, who is, uh, is very spontaneous, very spontaneous. He's, he will come here, not like me, with all these things that I didn't look at tonight, but with all the little props. He'll bring just himself. There won't be any papers. And he may sit here for a while until something brews. But it's always comes from a very deep place. And of course, you probably know him. He's been, certainly had some transmission from some great teachers. His father is John Kabat-Zinn, who has single-handedly developed the, not single-handedly, but was the founder of the mind, mindfulness-based stress reduction clinics that, that span the world now. Uh, and his grandfather was Howard Zinn, a famous historian and philosopher and uh, who recently passed away. And so he's got, if in terms of Dharma, he's got pedigree. <laughs> but he's, a, he's as natural and and human as you'll ever get. He even does Dharma rapping. And if you ask him, if, you're, if you ask, he, he will rap for you. And I hope you get it. Hopefully you get a chance to hear him rap, do his Dharma rap. 
So he'll be here taking um, this seat for the next two weeks. So support him generously with your energy and your presence and your your um, financial support. He, as I do, as as most teachers, depend on your generosity, and we offer our uh, teaching freely without uh, without. How many of you go to work without having any idea what you'll earn? I guess people who work on commission sometimes do. But, uh, but in, the teach, in the tradition that goes back 2,500 years, the teachings are offered freely as the practice of generosity. And in, that invites those who receive teachings to practice their form of generosity in terms of supporting the requisites of those who offer. And that's the same practice that's gone on for 2,500 years. So please support... Um, uh, will support whoever takes this seat, and I certainly appreciate your support, have appreciated your support, uh, and it can always leave it in the basket. And as well, the the support or Donna generosity for the room rental uh, for your room, your room costs $150 a week, $600 a month, so any help with the room rental is deeply appreciated and any check that you write can be written to the church that we use and if you do write it to the church it's uh, tax deductible but you can leave cash or any way you'd like to offer Donna and thank you in advance and thanks for your practice and most importantly uh, stay where you are anyway thank you I'll be back in three yeah I'll be gone two weeks and then I'll be back the third week and then I shouldn't be gone again until Christmas time, I don't think. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.